0: Well, today, as we've heard this morning already, here at Trinity Fellowship Church, we observe a National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's been an intermittent part of our history at this church. It's been an intermittent part of the history of our nation. It was first established in 1984 by presidential proclamation by President Ronald Reagan. It was... um, his heartfelt response to the Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade, that had taken place um, 12 years prior. And in his proclamation, he wrote, I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on this day in homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life and to reaffirm, reaffirm rather, our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. The most recent presidential proclamation of this day occurred last year, a year ago, January. And it says, this is a day to celebrate the gift of life and renew our national resolve to build a culture where life is always revered. Every person, the born and unborn, the poor, the downcast, the disabled, the infirm, and the elderly, has inherent value. Although each journey is different, no life is without worth or is inconsequential. The rights of all people must be defended. On National Sanctity of Human Life Day, our nation proudly and strongly reaffirms our commitment to protect the precious gift of life at every stage from conception to natural death. Well, this day we observe in our church, was, which was born out of this president's personal conviction vis-a-vis a a Supreme Court decision, has predominantly been observed through pro-life messages that focus attention on the rights of the unborn, the protection of human life and abortion. And it's an incredibly important issue. It's an issue which members of this church are intimately involved in. We have a deep connection with the Thrive Women's Clinic. We have many people in our body who spend countless hours counseling women and men about the sanctity of human life. It's an incredibly important issue. It deserves our attention and a great deal of attention by the church. But yet, as this presidential proclamation that I just read... It is but one issue among many other important issues that are deeply connected to the sanctity of human life and thus a concern of the body of Christ. All of human life is sacred. The Bible is clear on that. Life proceeds from God. It's preserved by God. It's protected by God. So any issue that affects the flourishing of human life is a sanctity of life issue. This week alone, in the news, lots of concern over capital punishment and the death, federal death penalty being enacted recently. Lots of disagreement about minimum wage, things like vaccination and mask wearing. Our our news is full of the sanctity of human life issues. So many issues. Fall into this category. Foster care, adoption, human trafficking, modern slavery, child labor, health care, marriage and family, education, religion, law enforcement, criminal justice, immigration, warfare, refugees, economic development, commerce, and even the environment. I'm sure I've, I've missed some, I've misstated others. I'm sure for some I've even already pushed a button this morning and that's not Certainly my intention, it's merely to point out that it's an overwhelmingly complex set of issues that affects all of us, all of life, all the time. And there are no easy answers. This sermon will not give you the answer. As the body of Christ, as the church, we're not unaffected by all of the issues related to the sacredness of human life. In fact, as I've already alluded to, we're divided by many of them. But as human beings created in the image of God, we have a fundamental and abiding call to both honor our fellow image bearers and champion the sanctity of human life. So I, w- I want to acknowledge up front and be sensitive to the complexity of the issues and the diversity of views related to these topics, where each of these is bound up in a human system which is flawed, a system and processes and policies and attitudes that are flawed by the sinfulness of humankind. And yet, as followers of the risen Christ, we're called to have both a voice and to take action. In each of these issue areas as the spaces where we are called to continue to live out our capacity as those who bear the image of God and carry his standard for all of the world to see. This day is a day where we can celebrate the fullness of God's gift of life while recommitting ourselves to honoring the value of and protecting and promoting The flourishing of human life in every form, at every stage, and in every circumstance. As we find our own place, where have we individually and collectively been called into God's story to honor and sanctify human life? Brothers and sisters, all of life is sacred because it reveals and it glorifies God. As our divine creator, God places the highest value on human life because it reveals him and his greatest desire is that we would fully live in to the sacred purpose he has established for our lives. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you, God, as the risen Christ. Christ above us, very God of very God. Christ below us, incarnate of the dust of the earth. Christ at our right hand in our strength, at our left in our weakness. Christ before us when seen, behind us when unseen. Christ all around us, filling all things everywhere with himself. Christ within us, formed by faith. Lord Jesus, give us ears this morning to hear your wisdom for our lives and eyes to see how and where we may more fully live into what it is that you have created us to be. Amen. Well, we continue this morning in our journey through the book of Job, a series we've entitled The God We Need. In a world that we can't always understand or control, we... We need to know who God really is. The story of Job is, is the story of a human being created in the image of God. And it's a story of the God who created everything and everyone. Job is certainly the central human character of the story. But on this human level, we encounter a number of other characters as well. We have glimpses of his family, his friends, his servants... And many of the others whom Job has encountered in his life. And while Job is the person for whom this book is named, the book is primarily the story of the person of the triune God. The God with whom Job has to deal as he comes to grips with everything he experiences in his life. The God that you and I have to come to grips with. As we experience everything and attempt to navigate everything that this life throws at us. Well, for the past two weeks, we've looked at the beginning of this story. We've been introduced to both Job's character and his calamities. And in our sermon text this morning, we're going to jump far forward into the events of the story. To look at what it has to say to Job and to us about this sanctity of human life. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn with me in there to the book of Job chapter 31. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 23. Job is, is giving a defense to his friends. He says, if I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me, What then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone... And the fatherless has not eaten of it. For from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as a father. And from my mother's womb, I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering. If his body has not blessed me and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate. Then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced His majesty. This passage is found toward the end of a series of of dialogues and monologues between Job and his various comforters where they attempt to employ human wisdom to explain the unexplainable. After a series of explanations by Job's friends and accusations from them as to why Job may have suffered such calamity, in this passage we see that Job's defense is to catalog his faithfulness. And to what does Job point as the manifestation of his heart and his character and his faithfulness? He points to how he has treated his fellow humankind. He points to how he has honored the sanctity of human life in his spheres of influence. And so this morning I want to Run through three principles for honoring the sanctity of human life that we can draw from our passage this morning, this morning rather. One is to honor God the Father as the author of life. The second is to abide in the fullness of life that is rooted in God the Son. And the third is to cultivate the fullness of life for all of humankind by walking in the Spirit. We see at the beginning of this passage in verse 14, Job says, What then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? You see, Job is keenly aware that he's going to have to give an account to the creator for how he's living out the mandate that all of us created in the image of God have been given. God created the earth. And all that's in it. He created humankind in his image to bear the responsibility of stewarding this creation with God. We are co-heirs in this kingdom. We have responsibilities. We will be held to account to God for how we've honored him by how we've honored the life that he's created We see in the early chapters of Genesis that God created humankind from the dust of the earth. He breathed life into us as creatures and he issued a mandate for human flourishing. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue and rule the earth. In Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. And what is God's divine purpose for human life? It's to bear his image both physically and spiritually, in the fullness of his divine intent as the creator of life. He planted humankind, we see in the early chapters of Genesis, in a garden. And he gave them responsibility for cultivating and expanding the boundaries of this garden. He called on them to cultivate and to create and to collaborate with one another. This garden wasn't the totality of physical creation, but it was the place that God chose as the starting point for his image bearers. Suffice it to say that a single man and woman cultivating a garden by themselves can, can only expand the boundaries so far. And so multiplication has to occur in order to live out this command to be fruitful and multiply and to fill and subdue the earth. And so to be fruitful and multiply takes a family. And so it's been the human family that's been God's design to bring about the flourishing of human life. But I want to point out that it's both a literal human family by which we procreate and multiply and fill the earth, but it's also a figurative family Or figurative families and organized systems. It's, it's churches. It's communities that make families that bring about human flourishing that champion the cause of human life. Human flourishing has always been and always will be an ongoing process. To honor the sanctity of human life as an act of worship to the Creator God. The God who created everything, even the creatures and the forces that oppose His will. All of it has been created by God, we see in this book of Job. The manner in which Job honored the ultimate worth of his fellow human beings was an integral component of Job's worship. And it was an acknowledgement of who God is. And as we, we see in verses both 14 and 23. An acknowledgement that we will be held to account. Why did Job treat humankind the way he treated them? Because he recognized from whom they came. And he recognized to whom he would be held to whom would hold him accountable for how he treated them. And he had a healthy element of fear as to how he would approach that responsibility. A life that honors God is is life-giving to others. And such a fruitful life cannot be lived apart from God or obedience to God. And so we see that our second principle is that we must abide in the fullness of life that is rooted in God the Son. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from Jesus, you and I can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we're incapable of ascribing ultimate importance to any and all forms of human life. As sinful and fallen human beings, you and I, at the end of the day, are going to make choices that are largely rooted in ourselves. It's an uncomfortable truth that we have to confront and constantly fight against. It's a lifelong process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ. And it only comes about by continually abiding in and being rooted in Him. Because as we know, the, the work of Christ is what brings us new life. Restoring the divine image that's marred by sin, and by doing so, renewing our very hearts and minds and lives. Jesus Christ is our greatest witness to the ultimate value and importance of human life. He cares for the widow, the orphan, the alien. He heals the sick and the lame. He restores sight to the blind. He sets free the oppressed and the possessed. He restores the lost. He raises the dead to life. He heralds the kingdom of God and the fullness of life found within it. And he invites everyone, all who would trust in him, to be partakers of this life and blessing. You see, the good news, brothers and sisters, for us is that God lowered himself and became man to save all of humankind, and he desires that we would be transformed so that we can more fully participate in both the redemption and the restoration of all of creation. To honor the sanctity of human life is to image the love of God the Son, Job being a foreshadowing of that love of Jesus, his heart his character, His justice, His goodness, His mercy. We're to bear fruit in this way by abiding in Christ. He tells His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, every healthy tree bears good fruit. And He also tells His disciples that you will know them by the love they have for one another. The fruit of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, is love. Christopher Ash, in his commentary on the book of Job, says this, Job is passionately and profoundly about Jesus, whom Job foreshadows both in his blamelessness and in his perseverance through undeserved suffering. As the blameless believer par excellence, Jesus fulfills Job as a priestly figure who offers sacrifices for our, his children at the start and his friends at the end. Job foreshadows Jesus, the great high priest. And I would add the great high priest who honors the ultimate value of all human life. And thankfully, friends, we, we, we've not been left alone in this matter, which which leads us to this final principle for living life fully in accordance with God's divine purpose. And that is to, to cultivate the fullness of life by walking in the Spirit. A life that honors the sanctity of human life is, is one that's lived out, walking humbly in submission to the Spirit of God. God the Father and God the Son equip us for all of life, by the power and the abiding presence of God the Spirit. It's only the Holy Spirit that binds us to the life of Christ that we're able to take on the holiness of Jesus, to abide in Jesus, and walk in the fullness of life. And in every moment, in every circumstance of our lives, we must surrender and yield to this Holy Spirit that lives within each of us. God, speaking through his prophet Micah, tells us what is both good and what is both required of us. He says to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, this National day where we honor the sanctity of human life is a call to remember and value that all of humankind has dignity and value and in the eyes of God, inestimable worth. The powerless, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the sick, the aged, the infirm, the unborn, the born, the widows, the orphans, and the aliens of our culture, those left without father or mother, husband or wife, sons or daughters, or even a homeland because of fractured or broken relationships and systems. Christopher Ashe at the end of his commentary says this, because Job is about Jesus, it is also about every man and woman in Christ. Every disciple called to take up the cross and walk in the footsteps of Christ must expect in some measure to walk in also in the footsteps of Job. So I want to conclude this morning by coming back to our text in a different translation. Here the same passage of holy scripture is paraphrased by our own for our own modern context by the late pastor and writer Eugene Peterson, writing in the message, he says, Have I ever been unfair to my employees when they brought complaint to me? What, then, will I do when God confronts me? When God examines my books, what can I say? Didn't the same God who made me make them? Aren't we all made of the same stuff, equals, before God? Have I ignored the needs of the poor, turned my back on the indigent, taken care of my own needs and fed my own face while they languished? Wasn't my home always open to them? Weren't they always welcome at my table? Have I ever left a poor family shivering in the cold when they had no warm clothes? Didn't the poor bless me when they saw me coming knowing that I'd brought coats from my closet. If I've ever used my strength and influence to take advantage of the unfortunate, go ahead, break both my arms, cut off all my fingers. The fear of God has kept me from these things. How else could I ever face him? Will you pray with me? Oh God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And may we as individuals in the church, the body of Christ, his very flesh and blood on this earth, be the family that honors the ultimate value, the ultimate dignity, the ultimate importance, the very sanctity of human life, a life breathed into us by God himself, a life revealed to us and renewed in us through Jesus Christ, and a life to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand together.